Rabbi Menachem Ganak is with us live via telephone. He's, of course, the CEO of the uh, OU's Kashrus division. And uh, Rabbi Ganak has been on many, many times on a variety of topics. Once we, uh, once we heard this news story last week about the um, European court that upheld the Belgian Schrita ban, we thought we'd get Rabbi Ganak's perspective on this entire topic as it relates to Jews around the world who, frankly, are trying to keep kosher and eat kosher food and obtain kosher food. Rabbi Menachem Ganak, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good to be with you, Nachem. Appreciate that very much. It's hard for us on this side of the world to understand why the Shechita ban is taken so seriously in other countries. Is there is there any way to explain the point of view of those who believe ritual slaughter is not a good idea for the animals involved? Well, I mean, if we would interview the animals, I suspect they wouldn't think slaughter of any kind is okay. Well, I get but, that, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in terms of, it's not exactly at a direct ban. What they required, in effect it is, but not direct. What, mean, what that means to say is what the uh, the EU Court of Justice in Luxembourg had ruled and over and sustained, as you said, was a, a, was in Belgium. They required that the animal be stunned before before the slaughter to mitigate um, the the stress or pain that the animal is going through. And the stunning of an animal before, both apparently according to halal Muslim law, but according to Jewish law as well, would would make the shrit impossible. Um, this issue actually came back, came up initially in 1933 with the rise of Hitler. One of his first um, decrees, anti-Semitic decrees, just a few months after he took over the Reichstag, was to disallow Schrita, kosher slaughter. And there was discussion at the time, um, what about if they do stunning before of some kind of the animal? And um, the Swede Ace has this discussion, and he spoke to Reb Chaim Oizer, who was then the, the Godel Hador, the Rav of Vilna, and uh, Mayor, the Lubluni Rav, with Mayor Shapira, who founded the uh, Dafyomi, and they both said that it's not kosher, and the reason for that is that we have to know that the animal is, is actually alive during the Shrita, if it can't move and is completely stunned. So they ruled that, that's, that it's not um, that it's not Formidable. Is that is, is that sort of like shechting an unconscious animal? If, if it's a stunned animal, yes, yes, and yes. that and that would not be allowed la halacha to right. shech an right. unconscious animal. That's, that was and that was the rule of Chaim Oizer. The Swede Ace himself, Yehiel Yaakov Weinberg, thinks there might be stud and lakula, but that is has become the normative position that it is not permitted because if the animal, if we don't know if it's alive at that point, or because we has, we have to, it has to be demonstrated. You know that it's a live animal, right? So, so therefore, it was not permitted. So, so um, whenever we see shechita ban, is stunning somewhere in the equation? In other words, whenever we see shechita ban, is it is it banned only because we refuse? Not a criticism, just a fact that we refuse to stun an animal beforehand, or or are there some countries and places in the world that have a straightforward ritual slaughter ban, stunning or not stunning? Um. So. Most of the time, it, it deals with actual stunning, um, um, 
and the issue is whether the animal will be stunned in some way before. Uh, or, or the birds, for example, in Switzerland, I believe they, have a, they had a ban. There was a discussion about a, a ban even not only on cattle, but even on, on, um, poultry. on poultry. But it, it, it is enormously concerning. It doesn't ne- this doesn't necessarily mean that all of Shrita will be banned. It, 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 it is possible that the... Um, you know the leaders of these various EU countries and their legislators will will give special sanctions to Shrita, which is the case here in the United States. Um, in 1958, the Humane Slaughter Act, I think it was 1958, and then 1960, the Humane Slaughter Act was passed, which requires certain standards in terms um, to uh, you know to obviate to the animal um, in terms of slaughtering cattle. In animals and poultry in the United States, but the Congress ruled that first of all there was an exemption for religious shrita from some of the provisions of the of the Act, and beyond that there was a, actually a finding of the Congress that shrita is indeed humane, and in fact shrita is if, if done properly, and the animal becomes insensate just seconds after the shrita because the the um, the blood flow to the to the brain is 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 stopped because right. we cu- cut through the various arteries. Right. Um, and and it's interesting to note that one of the people who was very involved in terms of you know the when the Humane Slaughter Act was passed was Rav Soloveitchik. The Rav actually went down to Congress and testified before a Senate committee. And then the issue went to the Supreme Court about certain issues, but the Rub was very, very involved, and the Rub was also very involved at the time in in between negotiations between the Jewish community, and at the time, the Rub mobilized the entire Jewish community from right to left, a religious and secular, um, different, different, many different um, national Jewish organizations, and they they. They um, negotiated, so to speak, with the ASPCA, and the, the Jewish community invested in creating what is now called the ASPCA pen. That was part of the most brilliance. The, the, the Jewish community developed a pen, which is a standing pen, that the animal is not rotated, or, but that, that the standard at the time was what was called shrita tluya, a hanging shrita, which meant to say that the animal was, was lifted up which, by its four legs. And, which I assume they the, felt the, added to the, to the agony of the animal. Right, and and there were other problems, frankly, with it because it was dangerous for the shochet because the animal could could move. And right. in fact, there was a shochet who was killed because the animal could you know kick the uh, and kill the shochet. Um, so it was it was dangerous for the animal. It was dangerous um, for the for the shochet. And the Rav developed this pen where the animal is standing, goes into the into the pen. There's a brace that lifts up the neck, and then there's a hydraulic, you know, uh, underneath the belly of the animal that lifts it up, so it's immobilized, and that's how they shecht. Now, that's the preferred shechita, at least in terms of the OU's position. In many places, as the soil specifically, they require that the animal be inverted during the shechita. So they have pens, which they just they just instituted now. There's a lot of shechita that's done by... Israel in South America, right. they so they have what are called rotating pens. 
the animal goes into pen and the animal is rotated because they want the shrita to be milamalulamata from top down. So the animal is on its back essentially. Um, I'd have, this, to, this, I'd have to assume there's videos of all this online at this point. I mean, it's probably something. There, there, there are some videos, um, but the um, the um, this, by the way, was not the rough position. This is simply a you know many think it's a misreading of a shach. Pimagodim says that's not what the shach meant. That the, the animal has to be you have to shech from up down. But in the, in this pen, right. the one who was the primary promoter of this pen was the rav. And at the time, um, the, the blaze is silver. If if the Rav testified before Congress, I would assume there's a transcript of it somewhere. Am I right? Or I I, I, I I'm I'm sure there is. But no, but no video. But, I would guess maybe some articles or accounts of it. Rabbi Ganak, let's get let's get to the most important part of this story, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Rabbi Menachem Ganak is with us, CEO of OU Kosher. We're talking about the ban of Shechita in Belgium and the upholding of the law by the European Court. Um, the most important aspect of all this, I, I don't know in your tenure at the OU if you've ever felt challenged on this issue. You could tell us in a moment if you were or not. But we know what the atmosphere now is in this country, and we know the influence that certain fringe groups have in this country, especially those who are active in the arena of animal rights. Uh, can we see a time in the near future in the United States where all this becomes an issue again? where people who either have a certain political bent or a certain religious bent or whatever the case may be, or anti-religious bent, could use an animal rights scenario to try to put an end uh, to ritual slaughter as we know it and insist on stunning or no ritual slaughter at all, etc. We know the atmosphere now in the United States. Is this something that you fear? Well, I, I, as, as I mentioned <laughs> In the United States, as opposed to Europe, there's specific legislation related to Shrita. America is a much more open society as opposed to Europe. And, you know, Europe, we have to recognize, has there's an overlay of 2,000 years of anti-Semitism, which we know ultimately culminated in the Holocaust. So um, that we don't, we don't have that in the United States, thank God. The, the, the PETA, which is very aggressive animal rights organization is an opponent of Shrita, but, um, um, you know, so we always have to be wary, but I think we, America is different. And especially since there is this legislation specifically in permitting Shrita in, and that's part of the provisions of the Humane Slaughter Act, something which doesn't exist in Europe. And, um, so in, in, in terms of the United States, I think it, at least at this point, we should be much more secure. And uh, do European rabbis consult with you? Do they ask about the possibility of trying to implement what we have in the United States in places like Belgium, or essentially when it comes to this specific topic, they, they've thrown their hands up, and uh, unless they agree to the stunning, it's never going to happen? No, they, they did not throw their hands up at all. You know, the leaders of the different rabbinic organizations in Europe, Rabbi Pinchus Goldschmidt and others, have been decrying this. Um, there is a, in, the, in Manchester, there's been, for many years, because there's been this push in, in the UK as well, um, over a course of years, that, that, that you know, to, to protect Shrita. And, um, and this is a, a, huge, a huge challenge. What's it done to the price of kosher meat in places like Belgium, and how do they get kosher meat now in Belgium? 
No, I, I don't. I don't know. It would, it would require. I presume it would require importing it. I mean, this this has been brewing in several countries for for several years. Uh, for example, in in Poland, Poland um, was used to. We'll see what happens now. But there, there was a place where they used to shecht for Israel, and some of the meat went to Israel, and it was an important source of income for some of these countries. I forgot what the number was. I think it was one and a half billion dollars of this was not just not just kosher, but primarily the halal meat that was exported to other countries. So, um, you know, it'll have an impact on their economy. We'll have to see how this plays out. Right. But yeah. it's, of course, it's very disconcerting. It's very concerning, both in terms of shrita per se and also in terms of what it tells us in terms of, you know, the, the openness of the society and especially to... Right, Menachem Ganak, he is the CEO of OU Kosher. By the way, before I let you go, you know, there are a lot of people now who are discovering um, OU products that are listed as OUD that may not actually contain real dairy products. It might prompt them to, not with their Shabbos meal, but maybe with a, you know, after their Shabbos meat meal, it might prompt them to use uh, certain types of coffee creamers, certain types of cookies that are OUD but, but are known now to not have actual dairy products in it. Is that category getting larger, and is it getting easier for the consumer to figure out what's an OUD product that actually does not contain dairy product, or, or is it or, or is it no different than it was 20 or 30 years ago, and I'm just hearing more about it now? Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure if 20, 30, I'm not sure exactly when we first instituted the OUD, but it was something in the range of, um, of, of about 30 years ago, that all products that had dairy, you know, we put the D on it, and even if it was dairy equipment. But the most ass shyler in America, literally the most ass shyler in America, I'm going to ask you, Nahum, what is the most ass shyler? If you could eat Oreos after a meat meal. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> What's the status of Oreos? And the story with Oreos is um, that Oreos is listed as O-U-D because um, initially they had some formulas that were dairy and some were not. Their largest... Um, a bakery was in Chicago, which was actually the largest bakery in the world. Now they're not making their Oreos there, um, but it, the um, at that time all the Oreos that were made in Chicago were actually completely dairy. They listed it as D because they were, they wanted to have the flexibility. Some there were some formulas that had dairy in it that if they wanted to they could switch, and they didn't have to worry about the inventory of labels, which had millions of dollars invested in. Right. But the company, namely Nabisco, wants to keep the D on it that was at that time, so they had that flexibility. At this time, there are always being made in many different plants, and some of those plants have are made on dairy equipment, and there are some Oreos that have even dairy, may have some dairy ingredients, but most of the, the OUDs represent dairy equipment. So then you have, then the halacha is, if something is made on dairy equipment, um, so it's a nat by nat. So you're not, you're not allowed to eat it simultaneous with meat, but you could you don't have to wait the six hours or whatever person waits. You can eat it immediately after. Right. So, but you still have to check, you know, whether it's just dairy equipment, which is usually the case, or it actually has a dairy formula. But that is, you got it. The first, uh, <laughs> the most, yes. I, the, the, you know, your listeners to know that Nachum Siegel was in my year day this year in YU. Yeah, long time ago, Rabbi. My prize <laughs> student, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope you're being accurate. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Rabbi Gidak, we always appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us this morning.
Okay, good to talk to you. Rabbi Menachem Yanak, chairman, uh, the CEO of OU Kosher, and uh, those of you who heard about the Shechita ban decision, I'm sure you were intrigued by this conversation. And those of you who love Oreo cookies, I bet you were intrigued by this as well.